Well, thanks again for being at Grace. We are, we're excited to have you. Hope you're enjoying our service. I, I know you are. I could just tell just by the, the response that you've been enjoying our music. And, you know, we have big things coming up, right? I don't know if you caught everything that Jenny said, but uh, in two weeks from today, we have Celebrate Grace. This is the day that we also have a free chicken dinner after church. And this time we'll be able to eat it all together because we're using the new facility. So we're pumped, excited about that. So that's coming up in two weeks. Then the Wednesday following that is uh, our night at the fair. Uh, Jay and Grace Music, we have the grandstand out there. And uh, we'll be doing a concert that's open to the community. Hopefully we'll, a lot of us will be sporting our, our Grace shirts. And we'll be out there as well. We're going to have those shirts for sale, same shirts. We decided we'd change them next year, but we didn't want to put a burden on anybody. So we're doing that again. Uh, those will be for sale, I think, for the next couple weeks. So if you want to do that, that'd be great. We'll all be out at the fairgrounds having a great time. Also that week, a mailing should hit our community uh, from us. We're mailing out a flyer talking about our next Sunday, uh, the series that we're starting. Uh, that will be the Sunday after Celebrate Grace, after the concert. And uh, that's, that series is called Make Jesus Great Again, No Spin, Just Jesus. We're trying to tr tap in to some of the political frustration that people are, are feeling uh, this year and this election cycle and, and really point them to Christ as a result of that. So that's all happening. Hope, hope you're praying for that. Uh, we're really excited how God's going to use these things and we just, we're, we're glad that you're with us here, as, here at Grace. As you know, most of you do, we're in a series called A Life of Unshakable Joy and we're going to pick that up and continue with that today and that's in Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, that's we left off at the very end of chapter 3 last Sunday. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. And as we realize that uh, this life of unshakable joy, rejoicing in joy is a repetitive theme all through this book of Philippians. And we're going to see that again as we go through this today. It, we, it's a repeating theme. We'll see it again in chapter 4. And the trouble is, living the life of joy, there's always issues that can interfere with that. And we've talked about some of those in the past, and Paul addresses some of those in the first nine verses that we're going to look at in chapter 4 today. Uh, for example, uh, how do you have joy when, when you're in conflict with somebody else? What, what do you do with that? What if there's conflict in the church? Um, what, what if you have anxiety? What if you're worried about that? How do you have joy through that? Uh, how do you have joy if, if maybe you're, uh, you're just struggling in your personal life and, and maybe uh, you're kind of on the wrong track as far as you're thinking and, and you just can't seem to get out of a rut? How do you have joy? Well, we're going to look at those things. And really, these are just things that will help us to mature as believers. So how does the life of unshakable joy Look in the life of a, of a mature believer, or maybe better, in the life of a maturing believer? Well, that's what we're going to see right here, Philippians chapter 4. So he's going to tell us how to have joy, even in a, a messy world filled with these things, conflict, anxiety, whatever. The first thing he's going to tell us is that we need to insist on unity in the church in order to accomplish God's agenda. He's going to insist, Paul is, he's going to, going to insist on unity 
in the church. Now remember, we talked about the backstory. Uh, Paul crossed over into Europe. Philippi was the first city that he preached in, in Europe. And when he first got there, there was not a synagogue. That's where he'd normally start. So by custom, went outside the city. He found some ladies doing an Old Testament Bible study there. And he brought them the gospel. Lydia and some other ladies. Now, in the middle of this letter, and this is a public letter to be read to the church, he identifies two ladies by name. And he basically says, these ladies are in conflict. You need to resolve that. And then he called out a few other people in the church as well as the entire congregation to help make that happen, to help get that conflict behind them. So here's how it goes. Again, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again, these two ladies, probably Paul knows them. They might have been there day one, ground zero, when Paul first hit the city. They might have been in that original Bible study that Paul shared the gospel with. Here's what he says, Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche, there's some real names there, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion. I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of, of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So these ladies are in conflict. Maybe they don't like their names and they're arguing about that. Whatever it is, they have some issues and they're in conflict in the church and everybody knows it. And so Paul he doesn't let that go. He realizes the stakes are high. Unity is important. He's going to insist on unity. And so he calls them out by name to resolve those differences. And not only that, he says, hey, my fellow uh, yoke bearer, my, my fellow companion, you need to help them. Hey, Clement, you need to help them. And hey, the whole church, you need to come together and resolve this issue. Because the stakes are too high, he's saying. And these two ladies, though, they're not just any ladies. These two ladies are foundational. They're important to the ministry of the church. He describes them as those who have struggled with him for the cause of the gospel. He's saying these ladies are uh, key. They're, they're part of what we're accomplishing at church. They're part of our ministry. They're a key part of our ministry. Cannot have this this conflict, and he calls them out, and again, he's, he's dealing with this. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every time when people have conflict in the church are they all about the cause of the ministry. I remember uh, when our church, years ago, when our church was a lot smaller uh, than it is now, we had uh, two ladies in our church who got sideways with each other. They had a big conflict. It was over personal matters, kind of outside the church, but it became so such a big issue for them, they were using grace as a battleground and kind of aligning people to take sides against the other person. It just got to be a big deal. Uh, we don't, you know, so we, we got involved in that, called them in, tried to resolve the situation. 
uh, tried to get them to bury the hatchet, whatever. That didn't work. They just kept at it. So finally, um, I called them each into my office individually. And, and we told them very strongly, if you talk about this other person at church again, we are going to ask you not to come back. And then met with the other lady. If you talk about that other lady in church again, we are going to ask you not to come back. It is over. We're not discussing that anymore. Just a personal thing. Not discussing that anymore in these walls on this campus. And you know what happened? Neither one of them ever came back to church. They didn't even come to be told they can't come back. They just stopped coming right then because if they couldn't talk about the other person, they didn't want to come to church. You know, they weren't about the cause. They weren't about what we were doing. They were about their agenda. And so the next Sunday, we were down two people. But we were way better off. I mean, we had way more unity. Things were way better. It's the blessed subtraction. It all worked. You, we cannot allow disunity. Now, I'm saying that in the context of being at a church where there is more unity than I've ever seen in any church that I've ever even heard about. Pastors sometimes ask me, well, how's the unity in your church? And they ask you different things. Pastors have their own little lingo deal. And, uh, well, how's unity in your church? And that, that question, I don't even know how to answer that because it's like freaky. I, mean, I don't even know how to say it. Just amazing, God-given unity in our church. Disunity is not something that we've dealt with for decades. It's just been a long time. Uh, it's just been, it's been a great ride in that way. And that's the way Paul's saying you got to have that. Because the mission is too important. The stakes are too high. Think about Paul. He's writing Philippi, right? We know the backstory, so we know when he's writing this congregation, they're reading this public letter. He's pointing out these two women, but we, we know some of the players in the church. We know Lydia, successful merchant lady. You know, she's there in the church. You know, maybe the slave girl, the, the, the jailer, you know, the, the blue-collar military type guy, he's in the church. There are some other men that... that became believers and were part of the church that are mentioned in scripture there in Philippi. There's Epaphroditus that was sent by the church to go help Paul and, and almost lost his life resulting from that. You know, he, this is the congregation. Paul knows them and he's writing them and all these people are different. They all have different backgrounds. They all have different interests, different tastes, different styles. And he's saying, God, and he's calling them to unity and it's the exact same thing here at Grace. We come from different backgrounds, we have different tastes, different styles, and God calls us to set aside our differences to be here at grace, and God has given us that unity, and we don't ever want to take that for granted. It's so easy to get sidetracked by petty differences. As a larger church in our community, Often we're asked by churches uh, for help or for advice on, on what they can do. And probably not a week goes by 
that, I don't, that we don't hear about a struggling church that's dying, that's being strangled to death, and a lot of it's because of disunity in their church. It happens all the time. And, and Paul's saying, can't do that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We've got to forget those differences and come together. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Check that out. He describes them. Isn't this a great phrase? Which this is to these ladies' commendation. He says, they shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. God wants all of us here at Grace to share in the struggle for the cause of the gospel. And I see that every week. Yesterday I came in, Saturday, two guys are out mowing our dead grass, you know, in a, in a, dust, in a dust cloud, you know, because we haven't had enough rain, you know, and they're out there mowing dirt. Why? To, to try to make it look better than it looked. You know, I come in this morning. I used to get here, you know, it seemed like it would be like second or third one in the building I come here, got here this morning, there are already maybe two dozen cars here. People rehearsing, uh, people getting ready to, to, to teach lessons, people making coffee and tea, uh, just all over the place. People getting ready to greet, all these things. People are here, what? they're here, they're sharing the struggle for the cause of the gospel. They get, they're here for a reason. God's brought us here to accomplish something. We have a mission, a purpose, a reason for being here at Grace. And people come in. And, and parking lot guys point out parking spots. And greeters smile and shake people's hands as they come in. And I, I was standing in the balcony watching people come in. And it got a little crowded over here. And people were trying to move and help other people find their, uh, a place. Because we're here for the cause of the gospel. Uh, we, want, we want the gospel, not just that people would hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and become believers. But then they would grow in the gospel every day and become closer to God. What we were talking about uh, last week applies to that. It's the priority. I remember years ago uh, when we were making so many changes at Grace. Um, and, and the changes that we were making were particularly hard on, on the older generation, I hear. And uh, one time I was a meeting with them. I was in a uh, meeting with, I don't know, maybe about 50 people representing the older generation. And, and they were asking me questions and we were talking about it over in the old auditorium. And, uh, you know, they just all the changes we were making it just wasn't what they would pick. It might not have been what any majority, the majority, I mean, most people wouldn't pick it, whether they were part of that generation or not. And I remember uh, Tom Rollins in that meeting. He asked the question. He said, are people coming? I said, yeah, they are. Are people getting saved? Yeah, people are getting saved. We preaching the word? Yeah, we're preaching the word. People getting saved? Yeah, people are getting saved. Who cares? That's you, Tom. Who cares? Yeah. 
You know what that does for a preacher? When a guy like that comes, comes up to you and says, keep on going. The style doesn't matter. We're accomplishing what God wants us to do. This is what it's all about. This is what's important. It, it's amazing. That, that generation that, that was there at the very beginning when we first started making these changes, that for the most part, I mean, almost all of them hung with us through all of that. Did they like it? Was it their preference, their choice? No. Why? Because they shared in the struggle for the cause of the gospel. They saw the bigger picture. That it's not about their style or their, their preferences. It's about making an impact on a community and a world. That's the way we need to all be thinking. That's what God wants for us as church. And that's what Paul's saying. Philippi, church, you got to have this. You got to have unity. It's too important. You got to make it happen. I can't tell you how thankful I am. That we're a church with unity, unity of purpose, unity of belief, unity of mission. We, we get, God's brought us here for a reason. We want to make an impact. Our lives shouldn't be marked by strife. It's just the opposite. Our lives should we be marked with joy as we come together in unity for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And that's what he gets to next, Right? Again, over and over, we hear it. Did you see it? Verse, verse 4. What? Did I even read verses 1 through 3? Okay, verse 4. You know, this is my second service. Give me a break. Right. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. How repetitive can he be? Do you get the feeling that Paul thinks Christians should live with joy? It's come up almost in every single paragraph that we've been working through in Philippians. And here he says it, which is the second time it's come up, just in these verses. And he repeats it when he brings it up. Joy. He wants us to have joy. The, the Christian life should be characterized by joy. Joy of knowing God. That's what he's talking about. And as we work through all this... We find that we experience true joy not when we're concerned and are pursuing our own happiness. We experience joy when we're pursuing God. And when we're pursuing God, we become concerned about other people's needs and how to impact them for Jesus, how to point them to Christ. Can you imagine... You know, some of that generation I was talking about here at Grace have died and are in the presence of our Savior right now. How thankful are, how, not just that we're proud of them, but how thankful are they that they spent their last five or ten years at Grace, not in disunity, but in unity and saw our church get more and more traction on reaching people for Christ. Some people who are now with them in heaven. 
And as the years roll on from that day until now and into the future, as many of us go to heaven someday and see those people who were the foundation when we did these changes, who chose unity for the cause of the gospel, that they see more people in heaven because of that. And, and they see that what they did the last decade they spent here at Grace accomplished something. They were part of something that they can't even do in heaven to influence somebody to come to Jesus and spend an eternity with God. That's what God wants for us. Continuing in our our text here, he says, okay, so Paul says, we insist on unity in the church for the purpose of of the gospel. And now he's going to tell us that we need to pray rather than worry. You see, one of the issues, how we can lose our joy in life, when he tells us to rejoice always, well, what about conflict? You need to deal with that. Well, what about anxiety? He's going to tell us how to deal with that. He's going to tell us how to deal with a few things that can rob us of our joy to keep us from living the life that God wants us to live. And so here he starts this way. He says, pray rather than worry. Look at verse, starting in verse 5. He says this. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Be anxious for nothing. Pretty absolute here. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. This is this saying, worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, na- be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he's telling us, pray rather than worry. It, don't be anxious. Give it to God in prayer. Take it to him. Bring your supplication. He kind of uses three synonyms for prayer here. He says prayer, supplications, requests. Those all basically mean the same thing. Prayer, supplications, kind of, you know, supplication, kind of a help me thing. Prayer, usually a lot of times maybe the nuance would be there. You're praying for other people. Requests, the nuance there is you're praying, but you, you have specific things that you're praying for. So we're reminded just by that word, you know, that we should pray specifically. We should ask God, not just, hey, God, help me in life. Thank you. Amen. Hey, God, make everything go the way I want it to go. Amen. That we get specific with God and we talk to him about certain things and we're keeping in mind what God's agenda is all through the prayer. So we have these three synonyms, but basically saying pray, but do it with thanksgiving. Pray with a thankful attitude. Pray like you're thankful that God exists. God is good. God created us. God loves us even though we don't deserve it. God wants what's best for us. God is faithful. God hears us. God invites us to come. All these things we can be thankful for. Express that thanksgiving to God as we come to him and we bring him our supplications. Our God, I need help. Our prayer requests Help these situations for these people. Our supplications saying, God, here they are. One, two, three, four, five. Specifically, what you're asking God to do. 
we come with a humble thank you for hearing us. And mature believers pray with thanksgiving no matter what the answer is. We pray with a thankful heart when God answers the way we want him to answer. And we pray with a thankful heart when God answers with a no. Because we're praying to a God whom we know loves us and cares for us and loves us self-sacrificially and wants the very best for us. So we can, as we come to him and he invites us to pray and we enter into his presence, which is an amazing privilege that, that we so much can take for granted. And as we're praying and asking him, knowing that God wants the best for us and resting in the fact that however God answers that prayer, we know that he wants the best for us, that he loves us. That he knows everything about what we're praying about and every offshoot and every angle and every effect that can happen from that. And he wants to answer in the best possible way for us. And we also pray with the knowledge that no matter what happens, we don't have to worry. God has this. He loves us. He cares. He knows the future. Even that, we pray thinking, it's not that just we're, we're thinking, you know, God already knows what's going to happen. It's more than that. When we think about the future, it's not just that God knows it before it's going to happen. God is already there in the future. God is not bound by time. God is not in past, present, future. God, when we think future, God's already there waiting for us. He's already there. He loves us and he's waiting for us to, to catch up. That, that's where it says, he says, the Lord is near. There's kind of three senses that's true. The Lord is near. A lot of times we see that, oh, the Lord is near. He's going to come back any time because we know the second coming of Christ is imminent. It can happen any time. That's what the Bible teaches. Of course, now it's been 2,000 years later, but the, it's still the same truth. He's not slow in his coming, but he's waiting for people to come to repentance. But his coming is near. His coming can happen at any moment. That's what, so we understand that. But it's not just that. We also realize that we could go to him any moment, right? That God has not guaranteed us the next day or the next hour. It, that at any moment as we're standing or sitting here, if just one of about a million things happening in our body doesn't happen, we die. Kind of weird, sobering. Probably best not to even think about it. You know, it's like we, we can just go down and then the doctors will be telling our, our you know, our spouse, well, this is what happened. Probably, you know, or an accident or anything. God's not guaranteed us another moment. We don't, he doesn't owe us another day. Lord's near in that way. But I think what Paul's really saying is not just Lord's near, he's coming soon. Lord's near, who knows when our life is going to be over. But he's saying the Lord's near in every moment of every day. God is near us. 
if we're a believer, God is, is in us by way of his spirit. He lives inside of us. God is with us every step of the way. And I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says, the Lord is near. We, it comes on the heels of rejoicing. Rejoice, Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Lord is near. Pray, Lord is near. That's what he's telling us. We obsess over the unknown future. And God's already there and he loves us. And ultimately he's in control. What do we have to be anxious about? And then he says, if we pray this way, then the peace of God What did he say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God that surpasses all of our planning, all of our wishful thinking, all of our trying to make things happen. The peace of God which surpasses all of that becomes a reality in our life if we'll pray this way. We're given this promise. If we take it all to God in the way that Paul's describing for us. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about is focusing, the way I always say it is, on mental discipline. And here's what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's kind of interesting because he starts with whatever is true. Whatever is true. It's, it's kind of like To get our thinking right, we want to worship God with a whole heart, but we want to worship him in the truth of what he's revealed about himself to us through his word. So we want to live out our life with a whole heart for God, and that involves our emotions. And so we want to worship him, but we want to do that in truth. And then he starts, and, and this is not an exhaustive list. He's just kind of, hey, think, think these things. What if, what if one day I was driving home from work, and then I was just kind of overcome. I started thinking about my wife, Pam, and I'm thinking about her faithfulness and, you know, her trustworthiness and what she's meant to me and, and what a great wife she's been, how much that's meant to our family, how she takes care of us, how how I can trust her more than anybody else in the world, you know, all this stuff. I'm just, and I'm just overcome, and I burst through the door, and, and, I, and here's what I say to Pam. I'm like, Pam, I'm overwhelmed in my love for you. I, I'm, just, I'm just freaked out about how much I adore you. I love the fact that you love the spotlight. I love your, your beauty, your blonde hair, and your brown eyes. Okay, now, at this point, if you know Pam, you know she's not appreciating this, right? Why? Because Pam hates the spotlight and has dark hair and blue eyes. So this is not going well. We, we want to adore God, but we want to adore him in truth. That we're adoring who God says he is and not who we think 
We would like God to be, that kind of fits our thinking, right? So he starts with truth. But he starts piling all these things together and say, this is how we should think. Think about these things. Whatever's true, right, pure, lovely. Think about these things, he's saying. And this is needed for us because this helps us, again, with worry when we keep thinking about the wrong thing. It it can help us when we get stuck in sin ruts because we start thinking. We're not disciplining our mind. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm saying think on the things that God says we should think on. Right, true, pure, lovely. Good repute, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. It's not the don't think on the bad things. You know, like, hey, everybody, don't think about a yellow VW Beetle. And then what are you all thinking about a yellow VW Beetle? It's in your mind. So he's not telling us, hey, here's all the things not to think about. And then we're struggling as we're trying not to think about it. We're thinking about them. He's saying, hey... Think about these things. Think about what's right and good. For Pam and I, part of that right and good is uh, we're celebrating our two grandkids are both turning one. You know, one we've already celebrated, one we're going to celebrate this week, uh, both turning one year old. And so we rejoice in that. We celebrate that. We're excited about that. But the day we'll celebrate even more is the day that we're praying about. When both of those children get a little older and can one day make a decision to follow Christ. That's the the day that we'll celebrate more than any other day in their life. And so for Pam and I to think on what's true, lovely, pure, that's that's me, you know, in in that context, is, is me thinking about the future. Maybe 15 years from now. And Pam and I are are taking a drive, sipping on a Coke, because that's what she likes to do, and I like to do it with her. And we're talking about how our grandchildren have made a decision to follow Christ. That's that's what we want to think about. And that's how we want to orient our lives because that's what's important. Where we go eternally, having a relationship with Christ forever. And so whether we're caught up in a sin, whether we're anxious, whether we're worried... We want to think about the right things to get beyond that, to bust out of that rut and start living the joyous life that God wants us to live. Of course, all that is predicated as to whether you're a believer or not. All of us are sinners. We've all been separated from God because of our sin. And our sin is how we violated God's law. You know, God tells us right and wrong. And we've all done wrong. And the more we study the law, 
the more we realize we've done wrong. Never lie. Never covet. Never lust. Never hate. And, and because we violated God's law, we all deserve to be punished by a just and perfect God. And the punishment is severe because our sin is against an eternal God. Our punishment is eternal. But God loved us so much, he made a way by allowing his son to come and love us self-sacrificially and voluntarily die on the cross, eternal God dying on the cross to pay for our sin. And if you're a believer here, you should be able to look back to a day in your life where you know you made that decision, that you realized all that was true and put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. You're not born a Christian. A Christian is someone who has responded to the good news of what Christ has done for us. So you should be, some people have the dates and some people don't, but you should be able to look back and know the time, you know, when that happened in your life, the circumstances. And if you're fuzzy on that, you want to nail that down. And if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're pretty sure, no, I don't even call myself a Christian and, and I'm pretty, you know, I, that's not true in my life, then that's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And that, that's why you're here and that's why we do everything we do to first make that decision and then grow in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about that or want to talk that through or try to figure that out, we invite you to stop by room one over here. But I'll tell you something else. In the next hour, we're having a 101 class, uh, our Connect class, our first class. Is just a, we have four core classes here, and this is just the first one. And it just, it's like an hour and a out, little over an hour, hour and a half class. And it meets during the next hour. And so if you've never taken that class, uh, it's been in the bulletin, we give you a lunch, uh, just come on over, it's free, and you just hear more about what we're doing as a church, it kind of integrates you into our church, you, you join us, you unite with us, we'd love to have you. Uh, we're providing lunch, we, we, have, we have some extra ones, so should, everything should be set. Come and join us, unite with us as we contend for the cause of the gospel. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the day. We thank you for loving us. And, and God, we confess that we don't deserve that love, but you love us anyway, and you love us self-sacrificially, and it's, it's an amazing truth. And Father, uh, those of us who are with us, our friends, uh, our neighbors uh, who are here and, and maybe they don't know you, Father, we pray that, that your spirit would, would just grab a hold of their heart, that you would bear witness to them that, that you're real and that the gospel is true and that you want a relationship with them and you're calling them, inviting them in to relationship with you. And Father, give them the strength and the wisdom to take that step. And Father, for us who are believers, give us the strength, Lord, and the mental discipline and the joy, Lord, and the unity to live life the way you want us to live it.
Lord, that people would see the joy in our hearts and that they would know that's a result of you being in our lives. God, help us as a church to be everything you want us to be. Thanks for the unity that you've given us. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. See you next Sunday. Some exciting weeks coming up. Don't miss it.